Hi guys, thanks for listening and tuning in to the Not The Top 20 podcast with me, Ali Maxwell, and sitting opposite me, face-to-face, George Ellick. We're running through the EFL weekend that was plenty of stories, plenty of interesting results, and plenty to get our teeth into from across all three divisions. Now, George, we're about to break quite a few rules of ours, aren't we? Because we're going to start in the Championship. We're following the usual <laughs> format there. You said the one thing here that isn't breaking the rules there first. Well, there's one rule we're breaking immediately, which is generally when we have to whittle down which games to talk about, we, we more or less whittle out all of the draws because we figure, you know, honours even, and normally we can, uh, we can discuss those teams involved more at length after a victory or, or perhaps a defeat. But we're going to kick off with a draw with Leeds and Derby, and it's not even to talk about the football, is it? We are, as regular listeners know, sponsored by The Athletic this season. The Athletic is the hub of the best football writing that you can find anywhere online nowadays. And they're kindly sponsoring us this season. Uh, They're offering you, if you haven't signed up already, uh, a free trial and 50% off The Athletic for a year. If you follow the link, which is theathletic.co.uk forward slash NTT20. The reason we have to talk, George, is that Phil Hay... Leeds writer wrote an article saying Leeds show the same old flaws in what should have been a victory for continuity over chaos. And it's not even the football stuff that's caught our eye here, is it? <laughs> yeah, we'll get to it. I mean, this, obviously, we, we have a discussion beforehand of what we're going to talk about. And we read, you know, we read most of the EFL content over the weekend. And there was a line, I think, in, in Phil's article, which caught our attention straight away, where he's talking about the famous uh, playoff second leg semi-final last season at Ellen Road where um, Derby turned around the tide and, and managed to score four goals um, in the second half of the game to, to get through to the final. And Phil says, and I think you're going to, listen now, I think you're going to know which bit caught our eye. Uh, champagne went everywhere, soaking manager Frank Lampard and the away dressing room took a hammering. Broken ceiling tiles, rubbish everywhere, a dubious brown substance on the floor. <laughs> Whoa. What do you think when you read the words dubious brown substance? I, I, I don't think mud, I must admit. I think that wouldn't be too dubious. Um, if I, mud had been mixed with champagne, would that look dubious? I'll I, I tell you what I think of. I think of Gus Poyer when I think of dubious uh, substances that are brown on changing room floors. I mean, this is like, as soon as I read that, I went online to see if Twitter was, was awash with... Um, <laughs> with people speculating as to what's happened here, because this is huge, if that genuinely is the case. I mean, Phil is as well-connected as anyone um, at Leeds United. His work for over the last few seasons has been incredible, and, you know, as The Athletic have, um, you know, they have the best writers around, and he is the best when it comes to Leeds United, and he would know, if anyone, if this dubious substance was, was said to be there. I can't find anyone talking about it. I can't find it anywhere. But that seems to me... A, quite a big revelation and quite an uncomfortable thing for Frank Lampard to have to deal with now. Um, so, yeah, I guess it's us shining the light on some... Uh... Yeah, we're certainly not <laughs> playing it down. We're, we're going to have to go to Phil for a, a, a comment on this, I think it's fair to say. Because if someone related to Derby took a dump on the floor <laughs> in the Leeds United dressing room after beating them in the playoff semi-final, then that's going to be something we need to talk about. Um, but... And it would, be, it would be another unbelievable chapter in this bizarre rivalry including so many weird on and off pitch things we've obviously got Spygate we've got one of the most incredible comebacks in in EFL history in the playoffs 
we've got this absurd game from Saturday where you're never ever going to see a team more dominant and not pick up three points than Leeds. And then maybe we've got, you know, some poo involved as well. So... (laughs) I've been trying to work out how many different euphemisms we would use and you've gone straight in. You've well, gone straight I, in. I didn't want to have to put an explicit tag on the podcast because no. that you know, rules out a few people and everyone can talk about it. But I'm glad. I mean, it's one of the few topics we've never covered uh, on this podcast. So now we, we can officially say that we've, uh, we've done poo. We can say we're covered in it yeah. right now. Look, guys, if you want to read the piece... Uh, head to theathletic.co.uk forward slash NTT20. Phil Hayes written it. You can read it with a free trial with 50% off going forward. It's basically the price of, of a coffee or a pint every month. And there's some wonderful stuff on there. In terms of the more serious stuff, the football stuff, George, this was a, a piece titled Leeds Show, the same old flaws in what should have been a victory for continuity over chaos. Now, that line related to the fact that, as you touched on, it's a replay of that famous playoff semi-final continuity related to Leeds having nine players in the starting 11 on Saturday who played in that game but Derby having only four and of course Philip Koku a new manager Phil Basie saying it's not particularly a rivalry it was a short-term beef and Lampard was very much at the heart of that but in terms of the game you touched on it there how much more can we say about this current Leeds phenomenon uh, than they have a remarkable record at home this season of completely dominating games and not winning them. And I guess the question to you is, how concerned should their fans be? As you'd expect, because there's a lot of them, there has been some hysteria in reaction to what they consider to be a bit of an issue for, for their team. Yeah, it's it's hard to say. I mean, my opinion is that um, this Leeds team are just so much better than everyone else and it's it's when you watch them playing you can see it they exert a dominance in, in gameplay and chances created in the XG stats in basically every single game they play in they've had three games already this season in this very very young season which have um, gone really against the run of play the defeat against Swansea a 95th minute goal conceded this draw against Derby where Derby's first meaningful attack was in injury time when they scored an equaliser having Leeds have missed a penalty and the Nottingham Forest game where, again, complete dominance in the first half and then squandered a lead. I think this is basically enough bad luck for the season fit in before October the 1st. Um, if, they can, if they continue to play the way they're playing, if they continue to exert this dominance over teams, they are not going to continue conceding injury time goals. What, what about the Nketiah over Bamford or Helder Costa involved somehow or Nketiah and Bamford with a midfielder making way? The thing is, it's it's very easy to point at those options once a deserved win hasn't come off. 99 times out of 100 Leeds win that game and therefore the decision not to start Nketiah, the decision not to start Costa is irrelevant and there's no, the grass is always greener, there's no um, guarantee that those players playing would have changed anything in this game whatsoever. It's just because of what's happened in the game because of the narrative at the end of Leeds yet again dropping points. That's why people are coming back to these issues. But Patrick Bamford played a part in, 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 the, in the goal they did score. He got into positions to, to score other goals and didn't. He fired one very good effort wide. He hit the post when he probably should have done better later on. But the, the interesting thing, going back to Phil's piece in The Athletic, is a quote from Bielsa saying, we've never been more, more superior, but we cannot think that conceding just one chance means we'll win the game. And the thing about that is that that is ridiculous. I mean, if you concede one chance per game, you should be winning. And that, I guess, is the, the level of standard that Marcelo Bielsa is 
trying to implement at Leeds. But normally, if you can see one, one chance a game and you're creating chances the rate they are, then, then you are going to win matches. So I, I think it's a case of just bigger picture here. And you know, if, if Leeds had won that game, if they did hold on to that deserved lead, if Click had scored the penalty, they'd be top of the league now and, and deservedly so. So um, I think it's, it's a massive frustration for Leeds, especially because of the way that... The, the match ended last season. I'm sure there are going to be loads and loads of people listening to this thinking that there's character character issues with the squad. Um, but I just don't buy that. I think it's variance. I think this is something that's going to even itself out. And if, if Leeds continue to create chances the way they are, if they continue to exert that dominance, you know, the likes of Bamford and Nketiah are, are going to score them and, and they're going to be absolutely fine. I enjoyed David G who commented below saying, every team in this division has problems to solve. Some need forwards, others need defenders, some play badly at home, others can't play away. We're not perfect, but we are pretty damn good. And I think that's something I certainly yeah. agree with. Yeah. Uh, it's also interesting that another team well fancied this season in Fulham are having a similar issue with not putting t- games to bed, but seemingly on a much lo- lower profile at this stage. So Leeds, not the only team that struggled to put teams away. It's, it's, it's something that we're not expecting to last the season. It will be excruciating if it does, because you know the, the angst that sets in at Ellen Road with 10 minutes to go when it's only 1-0 is, is, is palpable. And, um, and it's not easy for the fans, that for sure. Um, go and read all sorts of good stuff on theathletic.co.uk forward slash NTT20. And uh, we're going to carry on talking about some of the big championship results from the weekend. Uh, Let's celebrate the teams that won away first, George. Some impressive away wins, four impressive away wins, including the team that are third in the table in Preston. They went to Birmingham and won 1-0. This was the game that led to quite a lot of tasty arguments online in our mentions between fans of Birmingham and Preston. It's one of those games that happens quite often at second tier level, which we love, which... Um, just splits opinion and with a fair amount of, uh, uh, sp- what's the word, maybe some unsportsmanlike conduct, maybe a bit of time wasting, maybe a bit of game management, whatever you want to call it. Uh, Matt said, to be honest, both sides lacked attacking quality, only 11 total shots in the game. George, we touched on Preston last week, but they continue to impress and pick up results. Perhaps fair to say they're rarely dominant, but at the moment they're converting their chances, 19% conversion rate almost one in five shots, which is very high, too high, unsustainably high. But it is predicated on a very, very organised and solid defence um, and uh, a team that seem to know how to manage games. When they've gone ahead, this is a stat stolen from Blades Analytic. They've opened the scoring seven times and they've only lost one game in which they've opened the scoring. They've led games for the most minutes in the league this season and topped the table for first half performances as well. So lots to like about this Preston side. Um, especially having lost a key man in Robinson in the summer. Lots of good work being done by Alex Neal. What about Hull? 3-0 winners at Luton on the weekend. I always sort of think Hull a bit of a banker to concede, but to keep Luton at bay at Kenilworth Road, a pretty solid effort and a bit of comedy in this one as well. Yeah, some definite comedy. Um, It's interesting to see how, I think, again, talking about standards, the standards that, that Grant McCann has Hull, um, where Hull have had a, a difficult start to the season, languishing towards the bottom end of the table, going away to another team who they'll consider currently, at least, a, a relegation rival. Although I'm sure they'll want that not to be the case in a couple of weeks. And they beat them 3-0 away from home, and McCann's come out afterwards and, and complained that they should have been more dominant, that they should have put the bed to, uh, game to bed earlier. And they gave Luton too much respect. 
Uh, and I think that's fair. You, you look at the, the players they have at their disposal. Um, I think Kevin Stewart has made a difference mm. um, coming in, being that kind of player between the defensive unit and the attacking unit, someone who knits it all together and, of course, got on the score sheet um, here. And a Luton team who, uh, it, it's hard. They just don't look like the Luton we saw last season, basically. And I suppose that's fair enough with Graham Jones coming in, bringing in his own men and trying to make a change. But Hull showed here that they were the dominant team. And with both Grzycki and well, Grzycki on the score sheet, and Jared Bowen having a great game as well, this time turning turning provider, um, and the fact it took them an hour to to to, to show or to turn their their dominance into a lead shouldn't cloud the fact that this was a deserved victory, and um, and hopefully from here, I guess Hull will be looking to put a bit of distance between themselves and the likes of Luton. Definitely some concern, uh, certainly from Luton fans. One messaged us anonymously to say. Pathetic was the first word used. Graham Jones trying to shoehorn Izzy Brown into a starting eleven when it doesn't work. Collins endless running but no service whatsoever. Bolton not a right back. Pearson not a championship player. Just ask Barnsley who sold him to Luton when they were in the championship. And goalkeeper a big issue. Certainly Sluger who they signed in the summer. He has shown... Well, he's been at both ends of the sort of sublime and ridiculous spectrum already this season, makes some fantastic saves, but too often looks to be at fault for for goals, for opposition goals. And Luton, as you mentioned, just really struggling to replicate much of the defensive nous that they showed last season. Of course, that was mixed with such a good, uh, you know, attacking output. They have scored 12 goals already this season. It's comfortably the, the, the most in the uh, in the sort of bottom 10 of the table, but 16 conceded, not good enough, and they need to get back to winning ways uh, fairly swiftly. There's a couple of teams in the league who have had a pretty poor last few weeks. One of them, Millwall, George, no win in five for them. They lost at home to impressive QPR, who are just winning for fun at the moment, uh, albeit with a, a Bielkowski howler. I think it, it's, it's worth pointing that out. This wasn't a dominant win for QPR by any stretch. Julius, QPR fan, says it's probably their worst attacking performance of the season. They did very well defensively to limit Millwall. But the Millwall fans seemingly starting to turn a bit on Neil Harris. I'm interested to know what you think about this. A big sticking point is playing a three at the back or five at the back, if you prefer, formation at home. I've always had it rattling around in my head from a few years ago when I I think I did a shoot at Millwall in my last job and I was talking to someone there who basically said they're obliged to play 4-4-2. It's it's basically non-negotiable with the fan base. And whether you think that's correct or not, Harris has at different times tried to move away from it and uh, it really doesn't go down well. But do you think it's fair to say playing five at the back at home shouldn't happen. That's what was suggested to us in a, in a Sunday scouting report. Again, easy to say after a 2-1 home defeat. I mean, Neil Harris has um, earned, I think, some respect in terms of the way that he's got Millwall playing at the Den over the last three or four years, even if right now it doesn't seem that way. I can totally understand um, why fans wouldn't like to see five at the back. It's a results game, though, and I don't think Neil Harris is going to particularly care if he thinks that's the best way to get three points. That's what he's going to do. It's worth pointing out QPR, two up front, one physical in Hugel, one with good movement in Wells. It's not that surprising that you might fancy having three at the back to try and combat that. So it's not one versus one. Absolutely. Um, and then you also got I mean, a midfield three of easy and chair, which you've got two players there who are ultimately flair players who are going to turn that front two into something of a front four in possession as well. 
Uh, I mean, we spoke last weekend about how Naki Wells is a, is a striker who will profit from being in a team who create chances at will. As you say, this was a fortuitous win, you must say, where, I mean, you could argue that you make your own luck, but, but Mark Wilberton will know that not every time Naki Wells, the first one was a drop down from a, um, a bit of a, a deflection where he would have been offside, of course, but it was a Millwall player making the tackle, so he was left um, just outside the six-yard box to sweep home. And the second was it was an awful error from from uh, Bielkowski, who's made a good start at Millwall uh, this season, but kind of unforgivable there to, to give away two points at home. Um, so it's for QPR, they've been so impressive this season. The data stacks up as well. It's no fluke that they're there. And I guess this is one of those games we hear about teams who, when you're on a good fun run of form, things just fall for you. And that was certainly the case here. Definite fair criticism of Millwall, regardless of shapes and, and, and formations, I think, is one goal from open play this season. That's um, horrific. Four from set pieces and, and one extra from the penalty spot. That is really, really poor. They've played eight games. Uh, that is not good enough. So, uh, personally, I think in terms of, although I do like talking about tactical stuff, I'm I'm sort of loath to criticise too much without going through every Millwall game this season and working out the strengths and weaknesses. I can understand why they'd play three central defenders in that game against QPR, but not, I mean, even with four at the back, they've been struggling to create an open play and that's a, a, a big issue really for this Millwall team. Uh, Reading lost at home to Blackburn. Another sort of surprisingly poor result for a Reading team who are putting up quite good underlying numbers in general, although clearly weren't at their best in this game, uh, who are certainly, I think, all feeling relatively positive long term about the squad that's been built, even about the manager. And yet three defeats in a row, the short term needs to get sorted out to, to some extent. They lost to a Blackburn side, though, who are really growing into this season as well. Yeah, I mean, it's worth... Pointing out here that whilst Reading obviously dominated the, the um, you know the shot stats and, and the XG stats for the game, when Blackburn went two 0 up, Reading had only had six shots. They ended up with over twenty. So game state plays a massive part in this. Where Blackburn away from home are obviously going to sit back and invite pressure to try and hang on to their lead. Um, with Reading as well, there's always a concern about teams. Um, we see it every year. Teams who aren't getting the results they deserve and often the performances dip after that because you know obviously con- uh, confidence is, is going to dip in what they're doing um, if the results aren't following the, the good performances um, so that might be a little bit of an issue here where maybe uh, the players are, are starting to, to be concerned about the run of form and that might see performances uh, dip a bit I didn't like Jose Gomes's um, post-match interview it was one of the weirdest Rem- things remind us what he said he said I'm not a fan of cheap talk fine I get that. That's totally fair enough. But I look at the table and lots of the teams towards the top end of the table are going to finish below us. Brilliant. So I'm not a fan of cheap talk. Here is some of the cheapest talk you're ever going to hear. Um, it's, it's slight desperation. that I, I don't really see how we can, you know, it reminds me maybe of some of the blind optimism that we saw from Reading fans a couple of weeks ago. But, I reckon um, he's spot on, mate. I reckon there's a couple of teams in the top half that might finish below, yeah, uh, I, below I mean, Reading. I, I, he's not necessarily wrong, but to qualify it by saying he's not a fan of cheap talk, I mean, that is the definition of it. Um, but you're right. I mean, they're, they're currently fifth or sixth in most um, XG ratio tables. The performances are decent. They've still got Swifts um, performing at a very, very high level for this league and Ajaria as well. And Njan Puskasi have two strikers who are going to cause teams trouble. So I'm not concerned about them at all in terms of, of, of the drop, which you know the four defeats would suggest. But at the same time, that they need to work out a way to win games pretty soon. Blackburn looking really quite settled. Uh, they look... 
very tough to, to beat, essentially. Um, they didn't start the season well, losing at home to Charlton and then away at Fulham. Uh, and, and apart from a, an entertaining defeat at West Brom, 3-2 that one was at half-time at the Hawthorns, they've, they've had an excellent campaign so far and, and wins at home to Millwall and away at Reading in their last two. Uh, equally impressive stuff. Stuart Downing has been a really good signing for them on a free transfer uh, they did well in, in that sense as well to get Bradley Johnson in. And if you if you look at the squad, if you look at the bench on the weekend, you've got Danny Graham, Bradley Johnson coming on. Those are the sorts of players quite helpful in order to protect a lead. Uh, Lewis Holtby, who we spoke about on the betting show, who signed last week. Um, but the midfield duo of Lewis Travis, who has made himself a mainstay in this team, having only broken through um, from the academy last season, him and Corey Evans... Uh, who returned recently from injury were fantastic in this game, and you know we speak. We've spoken a lot about the the skill and quality of, and form of John Swift and Ovi Ajaria of Reading, and uh, and the Blackburn midfield were able to keep them at bay. Puskas and Joao both on somewhat of a, a cold streak in front of goal, which probably isn't that surprising given what we knew about Joao. Um, we weren't sure what to expect from Pushgas, and he burst onto the scene so well in that first game, didn't he? That uh, it's a little disappointing to see him failing to take some pretty good chances over the last month or so. Uh, then four home wins as well in the Championship. George out of Forest, 1-0 Barnsley. West Brom, 4-2 Huddersfield. Wigan, 2-0 Charlton. And Cardiff, 1-0 Borough. What would you say caught your eye most in terms of a performance or a result out of those four games? Yeah, a good victory for, for West Brom, of course, against Huddersfield. Huddersfield looked for a second like they may have been immediately rejuvenated by Danny Cowley, um, going 2-1 up in this game early in the in the first half. They had to withstand a lot of pressure, uh, and that pressure eventually told, despite it being 2-1 up, hitting the 70th minute mark. Um, Grady Diangana made the difference. Uh, he came off the bench again to be a super sub, getting two assists, and he's making, I mean, he's making a serious impact there. Um, I suppose the only thing he doesn't want to happen is for him to be constantly making an impact off the bench because then he might get... <laughs> well, I mean, you say that, that there's a couple of them in that squad who have... Krovinovic is another one who, when they start, they, they, they're not impacting games. Yeah. When they come off the bench, they are. So it's sort of, you're not sure whether to be well, happy came, or unhappy. And he there. came on for Krovinovic as well. So you have to wonder uh, what's happening there. Annoying as well for, for Huddersfield that um, Danny Cowley made two substitutions just before the, the, the goal was scored. Um, which will upset him, I'm sure. Um, but good to see Dingana doing good things. Um, we spoke last weekend as well, last Monday, about a possible um, change in Danny Cowley's mentality. But here, they had 34% possession. So maybe, <laughs> well, maybe that's not the case. Again, being 2-1 down, you're naturally, given the, the lack of confidence, the fact they haven't, they basically never win games of football, it's only natural to sit back a bit. But um, well, and, and they're two goals, in fairness. Both in transition, having set traps and won the ball uh, off the opposition. The second one, obviously, very close to the opposition's goal. The first one, O'Brien winning it in midfield and, and combining well with Campbell. So, definite positives from the first half performance from Huddersfield. Uh, this West Brom team are uh, sort of... They're, they're a good team that feel like they could get a, a lot better. I, that, that's sort of my current feeling about them. They're, they are... Uh, a good team at this level in a group of other good teams, including maybe Fulham and, and Nottingham Forest, who we'll speak about, um, possibly QPR as well, Bristol City, that feel like they have a bit more in the tank as well. So it's interesting to see how, how Bilic develops his team. Partly is going to be getting those attacking players to be more consistent because they are a constant threat. 
Um, and part of it's going to be not giving away sort of fairly straightforward goals like that at the back as well. Semi Ajayi in the goals again. Um, what a wonderful championship goal scorer he's been from set pieces, especially over the last 18 months or so. And, uh, and, and Forrest beating Barnsley 1-0. Barnsley on a, on a desperate run, to be honest. I noticed that they have a 4% shot conversion rate. So one in 25 shots is going in. Um, that is clearly an issue. They are... Well, they have been always under Stendhal, a team that get their shots off very, very high volume. I think in League One last season, they had over 100 shots more than any other team. So you can see their strategy. Um, and, you know, it, it's 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 an interesting strategy. It's not paying off at the moment at championship level. There's a lot of talk about not replacing Kiefer Moore properly. Uh, they're just looking too blunt in attack. The, 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 the takeaway from a lot of Forest fans who tweeted us about this game was Barnsley look quite good. They don't look like a team that's going to go down. If they can find someone to score the goals, they'll be fine. I guess there's, there's only so long you want to hear that as a Barnsley fan because it is very frustrating when, when you're not taking the chances. Yeah, and we saw manager um, Daniel Sendel after the game saying that if we continue to, to play um, the way we played today, we are going to win games of football. And that, I guess, is kind of layman's terms for... We've had a lot of shots. We've created a lot of chances. But interestingly to me, I mean, they won the shot count 16-11, which I don't think many teams will probably go to Nottingham Forest and, and do that to them given um, the start they've had to the season. But looking at the players who had the shots, Corley Woodrow is basically the only player, um, outfield player except for the centre-backs who didn't have a shot. So that suggests to me that they are set up in the wrong way. You cannot have a lone striker playing in that role who is not even getting a shot off when you've had 16 shots. They're, they're taking pot shots from areas they shouldn't be shooting from. Um, and they're not set up with the wingers creating chances for the players. Um, is that possibly because in, in Jacob Brown and Malik Wilkes, they've got two players who aren't really set up for that system. We're playing three up front, creating chances for players. We know that Wilkes likes to cut inside and shoot. And Brown also doing the same on Saturday. So I think they need to have a little look at the way they're set up and, and ensure that you know they were so good last season with that front two normally of, of, of Moore and Woodrow. They were set up to create chances for that pair. Whereas they're still having the same, same shot volume, but not necessarily from the right areas or the right people. Um, and I'm sure that's something that Stendhal will look to address going forward. I was going to talk about how this Forest team continued to pick up good results. Uh, a narrow home win, certainly nothing to get carried away with, but more good performances from Worrell and Dawson at the back. Uh, possibly a, a feature in Woodrow not having a shot there. Uh, a good winning goal from Ben Watson, who, who you don't see popping up in those areas too often, but that was a cracking finish. Samba in goal looks like a hell of a shot stopper. His stats already this season, fantastic. And uh, and of course, Lolly and Carvalho and, and Cash from right back, giving them impetus going forward, not to mention Graben uh, leading the line just as well as, as pretty much any other striker has done in the championship this season. I was going to say all of that, but Mikey tweeted us, Forest fans, saying, can you keep downplaying NFFC as a contender, please? Enjoying going under the radar this season. And you know what, George? We've spoken about this before. Uh, teams whose fans both want them to be under the radar, whatever that means, but also want their team to be covered. It's the most passive-aggressive thing I've ever heard. <laughs> please, can you... It's basically a way of saying, like, can you talk about our team more whilst also um, calling, us, calling us idiots? Yeah, um, which is fine. Well, let's um, not talk about them then. Well, no, I think, I, I think that it's, it's an interesting one with Forrest because I think we've, we often see managers we don't know much about coming into the league and it's either very clear to us that they are operating at a very high level or it's very clear to us that they're slightly out of their depth. And with Lamucci, it's kind of a different sense where they've had a very, very good start to the season. 
Um, the gate, the points they're picking up are very marginal. Like yeah. the games they're playing in aren't. They're not blowing teams away by any sense. You look at their last two wins, two really good wins against Barnsley and Swansea, but they won them both one nil. Um, the two one win at Fulham, a fantastic result. Result again. Not many teams will beat will beat them at Craven Cottage. The, the Birmingham game is the one that stands out where they beat them three nil. But even then, it was nil nil till quite late in the day before they managed to break through them. So it's hard to be overly, um, despite the fact they're picking up three points and just generally points regularly, it's hard to be overly enthusiastic because they're not blasting teams away. And you think that if it carries on being this marginal, realistically, they are going to drop points. But I think Lamucci's shown us that he is definitely capable. Um, and with the players at his disposal, disposal, he's doing a good job. And also, the current way that the championship is set up, let's put Leeds to one side because we are... At one, on one hand saying they are way better than everyone and dominating games to the extent that no one else is at the moment that you know they're still joint on joint top on points but let's leave them to one side in terms of the the next best though you know that that's going to be a theme of these teams because the league is really tight this year games aren't being dominated um, if you look at experimental 361 that that run uh, who runs the xg numbers immediately after the game or info goal which is a good app for that Almost every championship game is is close or close-ish, and being able to manage games well is is has always been such an important part of winning promotion or, or doing well in this league. But I feel like this season already it's showing itself to be almost more important than than previous years. Preston, another good example of a team who just seemingly have a knack of of, of managing games and winning games and. It'd be interesting to see how far that can take Forest and take Preston if their games are going to be as even um, as you sort of mentioned there. Wigan 2, Charlton 0. Really sorry, Wigan fans, but this is fairly regulation stuff. Uh, There's not much waxing lyrical you can do uh, about a a game in which you win from from two set-piece goals, apart from to say that Dunkley has showed himself to be a real threat. Um, and and you know impressive to keep Charlton at bay. They had some really good chances. Uh, a great save by McGregor in goal, no doubt. But um, uh, just a fairly routine home win. I think the same can be said for Cardiff's win against Middlesbrough. We said on the betting show that you can't really go behind to Cardiff um, <laughs> away from home because they're talking about managing games. They haven't hit their stride. That's for sure this season. Certainly not away from home, but at home. Um, if you give them a goal like Ashley Fletcher did early on in this game, they're going to sit on that game pretty effectively. Um, the pass completion rate of both teams was 57%, the lowest in the championship this weekend. And I think that gives a good idea of how that game played out once Cardiff took the lead. Will did mention, I thought I'd flag this up, George, that Gavin White settling well and very impressed with his good. work rate. Murphy as well impressive until subbed. Uh, Burrow, Will says, looked poor and uncomfortable with the new style of play and struggled to get much service to their forward line. I, I would add again, very difficult when you go 1-0 down away at Cardiff. Look, uh, in a different show, if we had three hours, we'd probably touch on Sheffield Wednesday 1, Fulham 1, or Bristol City 0, Swansea 0, or even Brentford 0, Stoke 0, because I think all three games, while they were drawn, had kind of in- interesting stories and subplots. But we're going to move on. No doubt we'll talk about those teams uh, in due course. Last week, mate, we were going to talk about Oxford and I said, actually, you know, we're going to choose a better time to talk about Oxford. I think it was a routine home win against Tranmere. We said, we're not going to bang on about it here. Um, So after the biggest ever league away win in the club's history, 
Does that feel like quite a good time to talk about Oxford? Uh, yes. In front of Michael Appleton and his new squad at Lincoln City. A, a quite remarkable away day for the Yellows. Yeah, um, it's going to be a... <laughs> I think forever I'll be slightly upset that I actually wasn't there on Saturday. I, be- I better say it now, I was at a friend's wedding. Um, so at least I was drinking champagne, I guess. But um, it was unbelievable. I mean, i watched the highlights about 30 times since and seeing the uh, the limbs and the away end um, was... I wish I could have been there. But I guess, again, we talk about variants and, and Carl-, Carl Robinson will tell you um, that there have been loads of games in- under his tenure where Oxford have dominated possession, um, created a lot of chances and not really scored. Um, many of those were this season, opening day against Sunderland, uh, at Blackpool as well. Um, so I think this day was always going to come. Um, made it slightly sweeter. I, I mean, I was... You tweeted off our account, off the Not Top 20 account, after the betting show, tune in to listen as to why Lincoln are going to be Oxford. Yeah. And I nearly replied being like, just to clarify, this is not me. And you may have missed a why Ali thinks... Lincoln are going to be Oxford's um, because it seemed a bit harsh. But I must admit, I didn't think that we were going to go to Lincoln and um, and get a result. Certainly not a six 0 win. The goals themselves were just of absolutely insane quality. Um, Tariq Fosu's third goal, which was a kind of a thirty yard dipping right footed strike, will we'll get the headlines. But both of his first two goals were really smart finishes as well. A fantastic uh, ball through by Ben Woodburn for the second goal, and, and Jamie Mackey did something that I didn't think that he was physically capable of doing. I'm not sure he meant it. Um, well, I think he was just trying to get a shot off, but it's uh, it's an extraordinary finish. Basically, if you haven't seen the highlights... You haven't mentioned I mean, James Henry's well, about to say, 100 mile an hour volley. James Henry hits, hits a, a dipping ball on the volley into the near post. I would just recommend, even if you're a Swindon fan, if you're a fan of good goals in, in, in individual games, um, have a look at them because it really was something. Um, as I say, I, mean, I think... It's not a result to suddenly think that, that Oxford are going to be um, world beaters, let's say that. Um, but at the same time, it's a massive confidence boost to a team who are maybe a little bit down on their luck um, after a 0-0 draw at Bolton. Um, if you'd told me before the Chanmere game that Oxford were going to score nine goals in the games against Chanmere, Bolton and Lincoln, I would have been very concerned for Bolton. I um, <laughs> wouldn't have thought that would be the one game where, where we drew a blank. Um, but now a big game midweek against West Ham in the Cup and then a really winnable game against Gillingham on Saturday and you do feel like if Oxford can get through that game then a bit of a stuttering start to the season will suddenly look a lot better and then I I guess playoff aspirations back in sight. I wonder if Carl Robinson and Steve Evans get on well because you'd instantly think no they'll probably clash on the touchline on the weekend but then again sometimes characters like that sort of game recognises game (laughs) and they they sort of have a a, a respect for each other because they know uh, they sort of kind of understand what the other person is like and I what get, they're doing. My guess would be that they will be at each other for the whole game and then hug at the final whistle. Nice. One of those. Unlike, you know, um, uh, Lambert and uh, and um, Evans, who I think it's fair to say won't be looking forward to sharing a touchline again soon. Yeah, it was last season, wasn't it? When At the start of last season, we flagged up how many big characters there were prowling League One touchlines and... You know, you're looking at the likes of Joey Barton. You were talking about Carl Robinson, but Steve Evans was was always going to be one as well. Of course, he was posh manager there, and he's now back in the league with Gillingham. Him and Paul Lambert did not get on well on the weekend, and I mean, I, I'm going to be lighthearted about it. They are both taking it very seriously. There's a lot of words like disgrace 
and concerning and all that sort of stuff. But um, it, it was just a pretty standard touchline spat, including Steve Evans, as far as I can tell. He claims that Paul Lambert said something very concerning. Uh, and I'd love to know what that was. One of his lines was something that would concern somebody in the street, which I just, I really want to know what that is. He then went on to say that he just said to one of the young players, you're rubbish, son. I mean, that, that wouldn't concern me in the street, if I'm honest, um, compared to a lot of other things. I would love to see your reaction if someone walked past you just around me in the street and told you you were rubbish. I, re- <laughs> I reckon you would be quite concerned. That's actually a fair point. Yeah. I'd probably cry. Um, anyway, Paul Lambert, unsurprisingly, has replied to say that his comments are disgraceful and a load of lies and to flip it on Steve Evans and stay actually... The abuse that was coming from their bench was vile. So a lot of name-calling, a lot of finger-pointing. The upshot is Ipswich, George, who we saw play at Milton Keynes on Tuesday night, made it two away wins to nil in a week, five clean sheets in a row, top of the League One table. Um, and I guess we, we, we sort of have to reflect on how this Ipswich team has grown in the last... Well, four to six weeks, I suppose. After one or two games, albeit an early stage, even based on Lambert's mood and general demeanour, we were a bit concerned about Ipswich. But that relegation hangover appears to have been well and truly banished. And you've spoken so much over the last few years about how a relegation can be good for a fan base as well as a club. And the whole stuff in the last week or so has been Ipswich's away following, getting behind the team, the team responding in kind and them bonding again it's it's genuinely quite heartwarming to see and we were in the midst of them on on Tuesday night as well yeah it, it feels like a club completely galvanized by by this relegation um especially given how dire last season was as well uh, it it is interesting though I mean I I kind of had a little look into it because I was a bit concerned after we saw the game on Tuesday where Paul Tisdale at one nil down at half time when when MK Dons basically hadn't had a kick all game, hadn't created anything of note, didn't really look like they were in the game at all. He made a change um, and he brought Jordan Barry on and went two up top. And despite largely keeping MK Dons at arm's length, Lambert didn't really have an answer to it. And MK Dons had the better of the second half. And a lot of crosses um, across the box went, um, evaded both sets of, of players some nervy moments Holy made a couple of good saves from Barry as well I mean it wasn't like Ipswich were clinging on for dear life but at the same time it, it felt like Lambert was slightly unable to, to get a grip on the game it, it, the Gillingham game was a little bit different Gillingham definitely had their chances um, to, to to get back into the game I thought I mean it wasn't even mentioned I thought they had a Stonewall penalty it's one of those that's never given where Jakubiak shot over the bar and is absolutely cleaned out um, after the shot and he appeals for the penalty if it's a pass yeah, if he's passed that to a teammate, then it's given you know, 10 times out of 10. Um, so I think they have a right to feel aggrieved about that. But Ipswich also had chances to go on and, and put the game to bed. I had a little look because it reminded me a bit of kind of the performance on Tuesday reminded me a little bit of Sunderland last season. Um, a team who quite obviously have technical superiority, but were basically unable to turn that super- superiority into more than just a one goal lead. But you know, the, the data is, is very, very strong for, for Ipswich. They're dominating going forward. They're, they're restricting teams to few chances. So nothing really to be too concerned about, um, even if they did lose the, the old shot count um, on Saturday. Um, Judge also hit the woodwork as well. So, I mean, it's it's, it's good news for Ipswich. Um, I don't think Gillingham will be, you know, they weren't too hardly done by, but they won't be too concerned by the performance, um, although the, the season hasn't started well for them. Um, but I would like to see Ipswich starting to exert a little bit more dominance, turn 
the good performances into results that are really going to make the rest of the league kind of sit up and take notice. Yeah. We've, and we've seen previously this season as well, I mean, the Sunderland game case in point where they did sacrifice a one-goal lead, which they did deserve. So I think it would be good to see them going for the jugular a bit earlier. I know what you mean. I, I'm, I'm sort of just purely just quite impressed with those away wins against those opposition. By no means the best teams in the league, by no means their promotion rivals, but frankly, the sort of games that, well, certainly not Pompey, certainly not Sunderland, probably not Posh, would, would go and win two out of two away from home within the space of four days. So lots of positivity there. Uh, Kane, Vincent Young, we were both really taken with. Um, they switched to, to five at the back or three at the back, and he's playing right wing back. Signed from Colchester late in the window, played basically the whole season for for Colchester at left back last season, although he's a right footer. And it's, he's one of those perfect fullbacks for the modern game where you might want to switch systems in game because his dribbling stats are genuinely the best in the whole league uh, in terms of his volume and his success rate. He's gliding past players for fun. And when you have a, a, a fullback that can do that, and can defend competently as well. You've kind of got the whole wing sorted. Um, and he's been a real difference maker, obviously getting the winner on the weekend, heading in at the back post, getting really far forward. Uh, he's been a huge addition. And, and you know, start of the season, Lambert didn't seem particularly happy with the summer business that he was allowed to do, or rather not allowed to do. But a lot of the new signings are now key key members of this team. Vincent Young, of course, Norwood, another one. Um, and a lot of the guys who came down with them impressing as well and, and you know we used to bang on about Chambers giving away goals in the Championship last season but he's been really solid in League One this season Doncaster's win against Posh George kind of caught my eye uh, Peterborough obviously a, a team who have blitzed various opposition in the last month or so but Doncaster clear and deserved winners here and a team that because of some postponed fixtures earlier in the season are still probably flying a little under the radar, having played two games fewer than some of their rivals. Neil, who's a Posh fan, said the result was a very fair reflection of the game, a deserved home win with Posh looking leggy and tired. Donny's wide players were the key. Sadlier and Taylor both impressive. Coppinger racked up, I think, five or six key passes in this game. He is as good as ever. We talked about the striker on loan from Wolves. Ennis, who looks really bright. Uh, Whiteman at the base of midfield we love, and he's been playing well alongside Ben Sheaf. Um, but sadly, is probably the star man so far this season. In Donny's first few games, they weren't really at the races, and sadly saved two games for them, really, uh, grabbing goals to, to draw the game, playing up front uh, at one point as well because they, they hadn't brought those strikers in. And now he's playing behind the striker and just equally as effective. This is a guy that was, I think, player of the season in, in the Irish top tier um, when he was playing for Cork City uh, and took a little bit of time to settle after joining in December 2018, but looks to be a, a key player and could be a key player in, in, a, in a promotion charge. So credit to Doncaster for that one. I want to talk to you about Jack Ross and Kenny Jacket, uh, George, because... It's certainly not new in the case of Ross. Calls for him to be sacked from the fan base. Something we've spoken about a lot in the last year or so. Something that you spoke very, I thought, passionately almost about after the playoff defeat. About how you, you couldn't see how 
with him at the helm, Sunderland were going to go from being the fourth or fifth best team in League One to the best team, which frankly they need to be. No evidence that they have made that leap based on what we've seen so far this season. And I guess no surprise from your side to see fans sort of basically a bit bored of seeing the same thing over and over again. Yeah, I mean, you've kind of answered it for me there. Um, they, it, there's no change to the um, way they're set up. There's no change really to the issues that they've got. Um, it's, it's no surprise to see that Will Griggs going through this horrific slump of, of, of goal-scoring form, this big drought. Um, there's just nothing really has changed. And it's interesting to note that Sunderland are, are fifth in the table. And last year, when we flagged the issue, Sunderland were first or second in the table. And the theory then from Sunderland fans is look at the table, everything's okay. But I think they've noticed over the last years, over the last year or so, that, that they can do better and they should be doing better. And they've got a manager who seems so risk averse. Um, it just doesn't make sense. I mean, I tweeted earlier about Elliot Embleton, the player who I think you and I both thought was going to completely change the way that the Sunderland team played. He was the bright spot for a Grimsby team last season who often had very similar issues to Sunderland in terms of creating chances. He was given the first 52 minutes on the first game of the season against Oxford. It was taken off when the whole team played poorly, including him, and has basically not been seen since in the league. And it's just... It seems like Ross has allies in the team. And I can't work out why they're his allies because they're underperforming for him consistently. Um, the takeover looks like it's going to be completed fairly soon and you have to assume that there's going to be no change made to the manager whilst that's still um, going on they've still only lost one game this season um, there's a good squad for someone to take on but again there is uh, anyone who, who looks at the Sutherland team and looks what they're doing over the past you know 14 months that Ross has been in charge if you're telling yourself that he is the man to, to, to take them to the top of the league you're just kidding you're, you're kidding yourself that's that's, there's no evidence to support it whatsoever. What about Kenny Jacket and Portsmouth, a team that we just assumed would be as good as they were last season, which was third best, maybe even joint second best, but for one really poor month. They were certainly picking up points at the same rate as Luton and Barnsley for the majority of the season under Kenny Jacket. Uh, a lot made of them losing Matt Clark and Jamal Lowe in the summer. I, I think we both think that Harness is replacing Lowe quite well. He's unfortunate to have picked up an injury recently, but in terms of output, in terms of, of potential, for me, just as good as Jamal Lowe, if not maybe a bit better. Uh, Matt Clark's probably the more interesting one. He brought in Downing and Raggett, and neither of them performing particularly well to the extent that they were uh, dropped in the last few weeks. Ollie Hawkins, who we know to have been the number nine last season, uh, moved to play centre-back in their game against Wickham on the weekend, probably to deal with the, the aerial threat, I suppose, of, of Akin Fenwa, and by all accounts played quite well. But there's a suggestion that Jacket is floundering to some extent, uh, chopping and changing his team, but not trying to implement a style that the fans want to see, which is a, a more on the front foot, more attempt to dominate games and, and exert some sort of superiority on some of the opposition teams that they do have a talent advantage over at least in theory um, the caveat is that they've only played seven games but they've only got six points from those seven games yeah I mean the, the league one table is a bit of an optical illusion for everyone given the um, <laughs> the issues I mean that it's totally and utterly irrelevant that, that Pompey are currently 20th because given the games they have to catch up 
they could be anywhere between 20th and, and about 6th. But it's not relevant that they've got less than a cool. point No, 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 absolutely not. Definitely not. But there are, if you kind of look into it, there are some circumstances where they have been basically luckless. Um, you're looking at the, the Coventry game, which I think was a, you know understandably of their own doing, where they were playing against nine men and they were 3-1 up, and they managed to squander that lead. Uh, and then you've also got sacrificing needs against Blackpool. The, the Burton game in midweek, they completely battered uh, a Burton team who, who I think are very good. Um, I think they post about 3.8 XG4 in that game, um, which is, you know, again, going 2-0 down at home, you're always going to create chances, but that's that's a pretty high number and it's and it, they were at least good value for their point there. And going down to a penalty against Wickham. I, I think the Jacket has proven himself as, as a manager who deserves time. The only thing that I would say is it, it does feel like there's been a shift from last season, um, whether it's the fans' support, whether it's the players buying into what he's trying to do. Um, I think he definitely deserves a bit of time to at least try and catch up the points that they've dropped this season already. Um, I can't imagine they'll be making a change anytime soon, although given who their who their owner is um, in Mr Eisner, you'd think that if they do make a change, they're going to be shopping um, in quite a good market, um, you'd guess. I think managers who would, would The naturally... Disney market. Yeah, well, exactly. Um I he think... Disney know what he's doing. I've heard some say about Jacket. That's awful. Anyway, um, um, no, I... but, but it's, it's managers who, who would maybe assume would be looking for um, championship jobs. So I think they'll be looking for um, a certain ex-Southampton manager in Nigel Atkins is one who I, I would think that probably wouldn't take a League One job, but this is one that maybe a, a guy of his stature would be quite interested in. So that's the one caveat where they, you know, if they do make a change to Jacket, they probably would improve on him. But I do think that last season showed that he can play a certain brand of attacking football he can score goals for fun um, it just surprises me that a guy who loves buying strikers so much is criticised for uh, for being negative but I guess the same can be said of Jack Ross so uh, that, maybe that's what ties the two together from Jacket to Yakola Ansi Yakola the Bristol Rovers goalkeeper exceptional in their win against Wimbledon Johnson Clark Harris in the goals very fortunately um, that's for sure Wimbledon Still haven't won 10 games into the season. They have not just failed to win, but they've dropped 16 points from winning positions. Something needs to be addressed there. That's certainly for sure. Southend got their first win of the season uh, in front of Henrik Larsson, who may or may not be being appointed their new manager, which is exceptional if that happens. And we will be very <laughs> excited if it does. Add him to our EFL 5 side team. <laughs> exactly. Um, Tranmere continue their theme of crazy comebacks. Uh, just in the last few weeks, they have, well, they just keep scoring late, late goals to nick points. In this case, it was all three against Burton, who will not believe they didn't pick up three points, let alone one point. It's Uh, it's ever since we called them savvy. They're just throwing (laughs) points away every single opportunity. (laughs) The least savvy team since we said they were savvy. Um, Chris, who's a Tramia fan, said, here's a stat for you. Tramia haven't scored the opening goal in a match all season and haven't scored a goal in the first half all season. So... It's the old, they mentioned it on Quest. I say they, I was literally on the show. We mentioned it on Quest on the weekend. You, you, you sort of... You were brilliant, by the way. <laughs> thank you. It's all right. Uh, we sort of praised them for this bounce-back ability and this, this strength of character. It's a bit but, of a crossover of football shows, that. You understand. <laughs> but they are quite poor in general, and those stats, such as not scoring the first goal in a game all season and not scoring in the first half all season, are... Very, very concerning. Uh, good wins for Wickham against Pompey. Tight game, that one. Scrappy affair. Uh, and Fleetwood as well, who continued to chug along pretty nicely 
and uh, could well be a, a threat to some of the teams that we've discussed at the top of League One. League Two, I've got to start with Miniesta. Miniesta is what the crew fans call Tom Lowry. And, I mean, it's just a fabulous nickname. It's another fabulous nickname, uh, along with Flynnadine Zidane's at Ipswich and a couple of others. Um, crew just look like the most fun team to support at the moment, don't they? I mean, they're playing fantastic football, as ever, with a core of talented, technical, youth academy graduates, most of whom are, you know, 20, 21 years old, and, and some have played six, you know, 60 plus, 100 plus games for the club. Um, and they're, you know, they're, they are promotion contenders. They definitely are. Um, you know they were my nap on the betting show, and they were they were basically shocking in the first half, mm. like really really bad. And you have to wonder if um, the Ascalinians' error for the first goal was almost the best thing that could have happened for them in the game because it put an impetus on them that where they had to attack. It meant that Salford uh, were looking to hold on to their lead, and um, and they did it brilliantly. I mean, some fantastic goals. Larry's double strike. I mean, the the touch for the second goal is absolute filth. Um, to be honest and, and the finish is pretty good as well and then Harry Pickering's strike as well into the top right hand corner brilliant they're a team who look to be um, playing for their manager David Artell it's good to see him getting a reaction at half time and um, having been slightly slight, not quite as convinced as everyone else pre-season who had them down as, as, as dark horses it's impossible to see them as anything else now I mean they're not dark horses anymore they're one of the favourites to, 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 to do the business in League 2 this season and um, as we mentioned before, a smattering of young talent in amongst some, some experienced heads. They have a very, very good blend of that. Um, and they're functioning pretty highly. So um, exciting times for them. Some of the goals that they are scoring are worthy of more eyes, that's for sure. And a higher level, to be quite frank. Um, uh, Lowry's goal where he backheeled it over the defender's head, took a touch and lifted it over the goalkeeper. Pickering's goal from left back. Just uh, just an arrow into the top corner. And then I think it was Lowry's other goal was a, a move that saw Crew hold possession of the ball for 20 seconds, moving the opposition around before playing through them, around the sides and, uh, and creating another good goal. So really impressive stuff. Cheltenham continue to impress as well. George, they got a big away win, massively rode their luck against Plymouth. So there's a part of me that wants to say, look, Cheltenham can win away from home. And that is significant because they're so good at home. But another part of me wants to say, uh, you know, probably eight times out of ten, they don't win this game. Um, they are a big threat on the counter-attack. Flinders in goal has been spectacular for Cheltenham this season, a, a brilliant stalwart for them. Uh, and, and Mike Duff, someone that we just really, really like. Just a simple upwards curve, I think, for Cheltenham since he took over. And it's culminated in a team that's won four in a row, challenging at the right end of the table, now, their conversion rate this season is 20%. I think it's the highest in the EFL. Scoring one in five shots, that's not going to last. I think league average is more towards 10%. So they're running very, very hot at the moment. Um, that doesn't mean that they can't continue to improve and continue to create more chances, but uh, at the rate that they are creating them, we can expect them to cool down a little bit. I wanted to ask you about Argyle, though, because they sort of quite quietly slipped into, I think, 14th place after, what is it, 10 games of the season. Uh, fairly underwhelming stuff. Sam said Argyle were all fart and no poo. The second reference of the NTT20 wow. uh, pod. I think that's one too many. To which is probably one too many. In the future, we'll keep it to one. He says it's a major problem, one, though. One, one X poo. They don't look like keeping clean sheets anytime soon. Danny Mayer on another level to the rest of the team, but can't do it all on his own. 
you can kind of see where he's coming from because there was so much chat that this was just going to be Berry again because it was Ryan Lowe, because he was going to play the same formation, because Danny Mayer was there and a couple of others. But it's quite clear after 10 games, they're not as good at the back. They don't have as good players up front either. And they're in 14th place. I'm not giving up on them yet. Um, I, I do agree, though, that I mean they don't look fantastic. I do think that they've been one of the teams in League 2 who's, who's been a bit unlucky this season, who haven't necessarily got their just rewards. Um, and you mentioned Mayer, who... Is, is playing well without the output, if that makes sense. You know, he's still doing good things. He's still Danny Mayer. He's still beating men for fun, but he's not, um, you know, he's only scored one goal this season and two assists, which in 10 games for him in League Two isn't what we're used to. I reckon he's still pretty high in terms of creating chances for his teammates. I think they're just not scoring. Yeah, exactly. Well, I think we'd probably expect him to, to get a few more goals. I mean, at this rate, he's only going to end the season on four or five, which we'd expect a few more from him. I'm, I personally think that they'll be fine. I think that... We're going to see them. Um, I think they'll be one of what the teams... What does fine mean? In the playoffs? Competing for the playoffs at worst, yeah. Okay. Um, I, I think they're the team... You know, If I had to make a list of four or five teams right now who I think are worth keeping an eye on over the next six weeks, I think Plymouth would, would definitely be one of them. Um, you know, Again, this was a game where they had more than enough chances to win the game, let alone draw it, um, and were undone by... I mean, the Varney header was horrific defending um, to leave a guy unmarked at the back post like that. And then, you know, a, a free-cone goal to, to yeah. you know, put the gloss on for Cheltenham. Um, I think they'll be okay. But, but as you say, it's, it's, there's no quick fix. Ryan knows a manager who I've got faith in. We'll, we'll sort it out. Um, you know, he's not really been in this position before where he first came to Bury when they were effectively already relegated and nearly saved them. And um, he then turned them into a, an absolute winning machine last season. This is the first time he's got to um, take a, a, a team playing below the level they should be and turn it around. Um, a couple of interesting games coming up against Mansfield and Scunthorpe, two of the team's biggest under, underachievers so far. Uh, and, I, and I back them to come out of it pretty well. Would Colchester be another team that you'd be keeping your eye on in the in the next few weeks? They're, they've hit a bit of form, four wins in their last six games after what was a, a pretty underwhelming start. They got a, a fairly straightforward home win against Leighton Orient, although Dean Gherkin... Really did get himself in a pickle. Just an absolute howler from him. But you need, I feel like every time we ever mention Dean Gherkin, he's always in a pickle. Mm, yeah, well, quite. Um, <laughs> Liam tweeted to say that Kwame Poku is one for us to keep an eye on. 18-year-old who scored the opening goal for Colchester. Uh, August 2001, he was born. So he's only 18 years old. He's come up through non-league where he was playing for Worthing and... Well, Liam described him as like a left-footed Courtney Senior, and given how much damage Senior can do on his day from the right side, uh, that is quite exciting, I'd say, for Colchester, and and potentially a very nice and effective addition to to what is quite an exciting attacking squad of players. George, George, almost, uh, quite apt, because I want to talk about the sacking of Laurent Banide briefly at Oldham feel like we talk about Oldham sacking their managers quite a lot actually on this podcast. Five times since the owner took charge in January 2018, Lauren Benid out. We really did barely know you. And Dino Mamria, recently sacked by Stephen Edge, you. in at the helm, inspiring them to an excellent 3-1 win on the weekend. Do you expect Oldham to charge up the table from their current position in 19th with Dino Mamria in charge? Not really. Um, I think it, it's not a bad... I mean, it, it's an OK appointment. I think he's someone who knows the league pretty well, um, who 
got a stevenage team probably punching a little bit above their weight last season um whether or not you know the same old issues with with older managers will happen again i mean you wouldn't be massively surprised if at no fault of his own um he's no longer at the club come the new year whether he walks or or, or, or whatever and it's important that you know if you could offer every manager in league two um what they want their first game to be i think home to morecambe would probably be top of everyone's list um, so it's important not to get carried away with the 3-1 win, but it certainly gives him a bit of, you know, a bit of momentum at the, begin- the beginning of his managerial career. And I think it was a good time to get rid of Benid. And I think it's, you know, I'm more confident in Oldham being effective now than I was before the change. But there's no reason I don't think to think they're going to start um, climbing the league at a rate of knots. Yeah, I left this one more concerned for Morecambe than I am excited for Oldham. I think um, despite good performances from... You know, that midfield that Oldham have, Missaloo and Silla, Central and Maouche and Branger, sort of trying to create and score goals, breaking forward from midfield. They're all players that can do good things, but don't do them particularly consistently or, or not from what we've seen um, to varying degrees. So uh, it's more of a concern for Morecambe. For me, they, they're just conceding so many goals at the moment. Um, and the fact is that last season we said... Basically, the thing that kept them up was whenever they played someone in the bottom eight, they would beat them narrowly or they would draw with them. And actually, in recent weeks, they've played a lot of teams around them, including Oldham, uh, Walsall, Scunthorpe, and they've lost to to all of them. So quite a few concerns there. Colchester mentioned before they beat Leighton Orient. Um, since that result, Ross Embleton has, has stepped back from his role as, as interim head coach. He obviously filled the void left uh, after Justin Edinburgh's very sad death in the summer. And I think everyone agrees that just in the, the toughest of circumstances did a, a fantastic job to keep everyone at the club focused while respecting and honouring Edinburgh's memory and legacy. Um, Orient have found it really tough, especially in the last few weeks. Results have been hard to come by. The suggestion is a lot of the players are struggling to make the step up from non-league and it's a squad that, that looks a little low in quality, um, to be quite honest. A squad that lost a lot of goals uh, over the summer, the likes of, um, of Coroma and Macaulay Bon as well. And 13 goals conceded in their last six. So um, quite concerning times for Orient on the pitch. Off the pitch, they are getting ready to, to hire the man that will take charge permanently and, and move them forward. Um, there are so many other wins in League 2 and we'll slightly run out of time to cover them all Walsall grinding out another uh, victory another 1-0 win defensively perfect says Dan the Walsall fan very difficult to beat uh, it's, it's fair to say they're not exactly free-flowing but then again my sort of memory of Daryl Clark's Bristol Rovers teams were they were the sort of team that gathered momentum over the course of a season that would pick up a good amount of points in those in, those, in that middle period, really, of a season where the games come thick and fast, the style that he implements, where they are very solid, but they play with a real intensity. If he can keep everyone fit, I do see Walsall continuing to strengthen throughout the season after what's been quite a poor start. And well done, Swindon, Grimsby, Bradford. You all got really good wins uh, as well. George, last word, Colchester against Spurs uh, in the Carabao Cup. You've got Grimsby against Chelsea. If you had to pick one to maybe not cause an upset, but to do a bit of damage, is it... I reckon both will score. Nice. That's a really nice prediction. Thanks. I think James Hansen's going to give 
some of those young Chelsea defenders a bit of a nightmare. Um, so good luck to, to all teams in the Carabao Cup this week. We'll be back on Thursday, probably, with a betting show. And uh, we look forward to talking to you again then. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please do drop us a share. Please do drop us a retweet. It really helps us to spread the word of the pod. And this has been a, a recap of the weekend action. We really hope you've enjoyed it. And we'll speak again soon. 